I've been showing you a slide of my life, my family, first night. Uh, this morning it was my wedding life. Tonight I thought I'd, I'd tell you a little bit about our church that I'm the pastor of. Uh, I planted that church 19 years ago. We, um, we're trying to be different in our community. We're trying to, maybe like you, trying to reach people that other people aren't reaching. And there's different ways to do that. One of the ways we are trying to do that is to provide uh, easier on-ramps for people uh, for some uh, special events, some Sunday mornings. So since we started the church uh, in the summer, once a month, four times uh, during the summer, usually June, July, August, and September, we do church on the beach in Santa Barbara. And it's awesome. People, we just say, bring your beach chairs, and uh, we do our ocean baptisms down there. And uh, we just a few weeks ago did it, and Gosh, we had 18 people that were baptized, and I mean, it's just really fun to see people make a public declaration of their faith, uh, that outward expression of the inward reality that Jesus is touching and transforming them. So church on the beach is part of our culture. We've become known for that. It's really fun. Um, this November, we're starting something new. We're, we're uh, Thanksgiving weekend, Thanksgiving Sunday I worked out a deal. Uh, we're doing church at the zoo. And uh, Santa Barbara has a very cool local zoo on, on top. There's this huge grass area overlooking the ocean. And the animals are all around there. And it's, uh, it's free entrance. And families get to bring their kids and then have a day at the zoo together after church. But um, a guy in our church said, hey, he's on the board of the zoo. And I thought, you're on the board. We got to do church at the zoo. And he's like, that's awesome. I'll underwrite some of it and help you guys make it happen. It was really cool. And so we're going to try that. Uh, and we're, again, easier invite, right, for our families to say, you got to come this Sunday and check out Ocean Hills. But one of my favorite traditions is Christmas Eve. And uh, 17 years ago, we said, let's do something different Christmas Eve. And I have a slide for you. This is our Christmas Eve. It's at the Fest Parker Hotel. We meet outdoors. And uh, look, look at that. Isn't, that. isn't that fun? We tell people, we don't live on the East Coast, man. We, we live in sunny Santa Barbara. One night a year, put on your top coat, your scarf, your, your beanie, your hat, and we do Christmas Eve under the stars. So we got, we, got, we got church at the beach, church under the stars, and church at the zoo. And, uh, and so that's, that's a little bit about how we're trying to connect with our community. It's become Santa Barbara's Christmas Eve. I got people that come and they go, we're here every year, man. We, we, some people are driving from out of town. It's really a good time. So um, tonight, we are going to enter into a topic that uh, applies to everybody in this room. Uh, what we're going to talk about tonight is friendship. We're going to talk about friendship. And uh, I have a, a, a few quotes I'm going to pop up there. Proverbs 27.9, I love this. A sweet friendship. Does what? Refreshes the soul. I wonder if you've ever had that experience. A sweet friendship. And you're like, when I'm with this person, it, it's so life-giving. It's refreshing. I don't walk away depleted. I actually walk away encouraged and strengthened. And my soul feels refreshed. That's God's dream for us, for you, for me. A sweet friendship. 
And then I love C.S. Lewis. I have a couple quotes. One quote is, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Have you had that experience? You just connect over that, right? And then this one I love from C.S. Lewis. Is any pleasure on earth as great as a circle of Christian friends by a fire? And then I got a picture. This is part of our culture at Ocean Hills. That's a washing machine drum. <laughs> and one of the things that, that my 4x4, four four, these guys that we mentor, when we mentor guys at the end of the year, that's the gift that we give them. We give them a washing machine drum as a metaphor, as a symbol of gathering around the fire, sharing our lives together. Some guys have a glass of wine. Some guys sip a bourbon rye. Some guys have a bottle of water, soda pop. But we have the scriptures open, and we have our lives open to each other, and we gather. That's my Monday night group. I've been meeting with those guys for 14 years. And... Uh, it's, it's such a gift, such a gift, and I want that for you, and we're going to talk about that tonight. Here's what I want to do tonight. I want to ask you a question, and I want you to turn to the person next to you. You each get one minute, maybe even only 30 seconds. Who is your best friend at age 12 and why? Right now, you got it. Just go. Who is your best friend at age 12 and why? Turn to the person next to you, behind you, whatever. Who was it? Okay, good, good, good. I want to, uh, how many of you saw the film Stand By Me? Remember that film? The last line of the film. Listen to the last line, the final line. I never had any friends later on like the ones I had when I was 12. Why? Why? What's, what is that about? That's true for a lot of men. What is it about when we're kids? When we're 12, we're 13, we're 14. Something's happening, and now you get older. What happens? We drift apart. <laughs> what, what, what was? Girls happen. Yeah, that's true. Life happens, right? We move away. We go to college, we get, we, our interests split apart. Um, you know, I don't know about you, but um, there's, when I think back of those years in my life, like, I love that picture, I love that film. I mean, Rusty, who I talked about with the MG, and Donnie, who lives in Sebastopol, uh, these were my, we, we the, the three of us, and we just had a reunion um, when we turned 50, Rusty called and said, hey, you guys, I haven't seen you, and I tracked you down, I found you, and we met, and we went to a Giants game in San Francisco, and went out to dinner, and, and hung out together, and then Rusty got married last year, he lives in Myrtle Beach, and he said, you got to do my wedding, and Donnie, we call him Steely, he's like, Steely, you're going to be my best man, and it, it was really fun, the three of us got together, and, you know, I thought, how did we drift apart? And, that, and then, of course, we're reliving old times and we're laughing. And then you got to move forward. And that's part of the challenge sometimes with childhood friends. It's like, boy, I'm, in a, I'm a minister now. I mean, I was kind of a, the life of the partier back then and stuff. And they're like, dude, how'd you ever become a minister, you know? 
but then I get to share who Jesus is to me. And, uh, and we're kind of re-beginning a new friendship now as older guys. Um, I want to read for you. This is an author that I'm really, really appreciating. Uh, her book, The Gifts of Imperfection. Her name's Brené Brown. She's at the University of Houston. She's got her PhD. Her uh, expertise, her kind of area of focus is in vulnerability and shame. And uh, she writes this that I thought was really interesting. She says, of this I'm actually certain. After collecting thousands of stories, I'm, I'm willing to call this a fact. A deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all women, men, and children. We are biologically, cognitively, physically, and spiritually wired to love, to be loved, and to belong. When those needs are not met, we do not function as we were meant to. We break. We fall apart. We numb. We ache. We hurt others. We get sick. There are certainly other causes of illness, numbing, and hurt, but the absence of love and belonging and friendship will always lead to suffering. Whew. That's a profound statement from somebody who's researched and listened to thousands and thousands of stories. A friend of mine said, you've got to get online and hear uh, NPR. On NPR, the U.S. Surgeon General was interviewed. Just This was maybe a month or two ago. And look at this quote from the U.S. Surgeon General. The most prevalent health issue among men today is not cancer, heart disease, or obesity. What is it? Isolation. What does that mean? What does that mean for you? I can tell you as an extrovert who's getting older, I am tending to isolate more and more. I, 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 I like people, but I also don't really want to make the effort like I used to. And so when we isolate, we can get in trouble. You've got to pay attention to this. It's a big issue. So I want to just share with you, my title is Why We Don't Have Friends. I'm going to tell you why you don't have friends if you're here tonight. There's a lot of you that don't. I mean, you might have a few buddies, but you maybe you go have a beer together, or you play poker together, but you're not vulnerable with them. They don't really know your secrets. They don't know your hiding places. They don't know the things you're really struggling with, your fear, your insecurities, the things where maybe you're thinking about doing something you shouldn't be doing. That's, that's real men are men who are real. That's where we're going to go tonight. So I know some of you are like, whoa, yeah, it's getting real tonight. It's getting real tonight. Here we go. Why we don't have friends. Number one is just kind of what I mentioned. I call it a slow drift. After college, uh, as we age, we just kind of let our friendships last. We miss the big events. We miss college graduation or the guy gets married or there's some big event or celebration, and we don't show up. We stop showing up. We miss it. And when we miss stuff, you just slowly drift apart from each other, right? And then, of course, they come into town again, and you hear they were in town, and they didn't call you, and you didn't connect with them. And then you kind of go, geez, 
I thought that guy was one of my closest friends and he came through town and we never connected and then you kind of start doing the connecting the dots and wondering I wonder I tell my wife I tell other people that this guy's one of my best friends and we're not connecting like we did right second is schedule we're slammed we're super busy right uh, our priorities are our wife, our kids, our career, getting, staying in shape. I don't have this quote on the screen, but there's a psychiatrist, Dr. Schwartz. Listen to this. When people with kids, and there was somebody in here who asked this this morning, I think, in the Q&A. When people with kids become super busy and overscheduled with no margin in their life, they don't shortchange their family. They shortchange their friendships. That's the research. And I'm not suggesting tonight that you shortchange your family, but if you want to have friends, if you really want to have friends, if you want to have life-giving connection with other men, you got to make some time for it. You got to make it a priority. That's all the research says. The best way for men to forge and maintain friendships is to build in regularity. Now, regularity, I mentioned it earlier, uh, doesn't mean once a week. It could be once a week. Might be once a month. I just did this sailing trip once a year. And we connect on the phone and in other ways. Maybe we'll, we'll, our paths will intersect at a conference. But once a year, we're connecting. I have other friends we, we do. We build in a regular dinner once a month. I got, a, I got some friends I ocean swim with them every Friday morning. That's our thing. And then we go get coffee together, but we swim together. I don't know what it is for you, but where are you building in a regularity with one guy, two guys, a handful of guys that you're saying, I need this. I need this in my life. Third reason uh, is sitting in Starbucks is what I'm saying. You know what? The approach is wrong. Men do not connect face to face. We connect side by side. Again, the research proves that. Uh, there's a quote by the Oxford University study. Most men need an activity to make and keep a bond. Guys bond more side by side, doing something versus... Now, some of you are going, hey, man, I, I connect with my friends over Starbucks. Awesome. But most guys, it's intimidating. It's like, whoa, so how you doing? It's like, whoa, you know. But if you're riding a bike together or you're doing an activity together, it does help build a connection there that then provides the foundation for you to have those deeper conversations. We need to go through something together. And um, I just think, you know, if, if you're in men's ministry in your church, I, I'm going to, this is going to sound, it's kind of sarcastic, but we got to get beyond the pancake breakfast, the Saturday morning guys in the ch church fellowship hall pancake we got to get outdoors we got to get connected we got to get into adventure we got to get away like this that's why at our church i'm like we're not gonna we're not gonna do the church weenie roast we're not gonna do it we're gonna find other ways to get guys to connect because it's so hard the small talk thing and i'm having my pancakes and i know for some churches it doesn't work for me i don't i don't want to go to that as a guy, I do, and I'm the pastor of the church, I don't want to go to the pancake breakfast and make small talk with guys. I just don't want to do it. It's not fun. It's boring. I don't dig it. I'd rather go, I'd rather go for a bike ride, a run, go for an ocean. So I'd rather go do something with some guys. And I think we got a lot of men that are that way. Not everybody. I know some of you, you know. But we've got to get into the... So just this year, I'll just tell you, these are the kind of things I do. 
It's not, I'm not bragging about it, but this is how I connect with men. Uh, I took a guy that's uh, head of my finance team and a guy who's on my elder board, my leadership team. And we, none of us cross-country ski. But this last winter was like the winter, right, in Yosemite. I said, let's go. I go, there's, a, there's this article I read. And uh, from Badger Pass in Yosemite, you cross-country ski 10 miles in to Glacier Point. And it overlooks uh, Half Dome. And it was, it was insane. I asked these. These are busy guys. One's an attorney. Another guy owns three businesses. Uh, and they, because I know some, well, I could never, yeah, you can. You got to ask guys. And these guys are like, yeah, I want to do it. And we did it midweek. They took time off work. And these both, they both have three kids under the age of 12. So the answer to some of your, well, we could never do that. Yeah, you can. You got to make the ask. You got to make the ask. These guys are still talking about this trip. We had time in the word together. We were up late praying over the, over, looking over at night. I mean, it was like this beautiful moon was out. And we just, we just were together praying for each other's families and kids and, and spouses, our wives. It was special. That stuff doesn't happen in Starbucks. I'm, I'm not opening the kimono in Starbucks. You know what I'm saying? But when you get away together and you get in the outdoors together, it's funny how you start feeling safe to go, actually, let me tell you what's really going on. That was one trip I did this year. Another trip I did this year, I took eight guys on a canoe and cycling trip to Lake Placid, New York. You go, why would you do that? I don't know, because I wanted to. And, uh, and because I thought, I know guys that want to get away. This is us up in the Adirondacks. I don't have any connections there. I just said, hey, and I invited guys. And then I opened it up to the whole church, and I took eight guys. When you put eight guys... In canoes, none of us are canoers. I mean, in California, that is like, that's like a Minnesota thing, right? Eight guys from California, Southern California in canoes. We didn't know what we were doing, but it was awesome. You're problem solving. You're flipping over in the canoe. You're building bonfires. You're praying. You're opening the word. It's pouring rain. The wind's at your face. You're like, that's how you connect. These guys that went on this trip, they come back. These guys are all going, man, I got friends. When I see the guys on Sunday morning, these guys are getting together, and I'm not having to broker the deal. Does that make sense? I just, I, I want you to hear you got to get away with guys. You got to do it if you want to have friends. Again, the Fuller Seminary research says this is what you got to do to grow, and this is what you got to do to make male friends. There's another reason we don't have friends, and this is the Brené Brown research. It's shame. Shame is failure. Failure at work, failure with money, failure with kids, failure in bed. Shame is weakness. It's when people think you're soft. You never ask for help. That's weakness. You never admit ignorance like you don't know something. And so we live under the pressure of one unrelenting message. Don't be perceived as weak. And so what do we do? We turn on each other to get ahead. I push you down so I can be above you and feel better about myself. And God's word says rather than turn on each other, we need to turn towards each other. Rather than put each other down through sarcasm and ridicule and teasing and making fun of each other, 
We need to encourage and strengthen and build each other and lift each other up. And then the fifth reason we don't have friends, and I just read this article this week when I was with these guys on the sailboat, this research that just came out after the Vegas shooting. And it was saying one of the reasons men don't have friends said we've stopped playing. Isn't that interesting? We've stopped playing. It says play is how we bond and form friendships. All of us are going to face difficult times. We're going to face rejection, humiliation, disrespect, shame. What gets us through? It's friendships with guys that we're sharing fun with and common activity with. And I would add to that, faith with and Jesus with, right? I wonder if any of this is connecting about maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're going, ooh, yeah, you're talking to me tonight. The volume just got turned up tonight. I'm kind of looking around my life thinking, well, I thought I had. Well, ooh, do I have? And so I want to read for you this scripture, and then I'll just make a couple of reflections. 1 Samuel 23. Of course, 1 Samuel 18, 19, and 20 is really the, the kind of the big portion of the friendship model that Jonathan and David shared. But in chapter 23, there's these few little verses that really st- st- kind of jumped out at me. Let me read this for us. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Zip. Day after day, Saul, who was king, right? Jonathan's dad, by the way, he searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horish in the desert of Zip, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. So what do you think Saul, or what do you think David's feeling? What do you think David's feeling? Fear, right? Probably fear, a little insecurity, the king's out to get me. Even though he'd been anointed and, and the prophet had said, you're going to be king, now the other, you know, the king, Saul, is feeling threatened and jealous, and he's coming after you. I'm guessing you're kind of experiencing some fear at that point. Verse 16, and Saul's son, Jonathan, what did he do? He went to David at Horish, and he helped him find strength in God. Verse 17, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horesh. Three little reflections on friendship. You got to show up, you got to open up, and you got to step up. You got to show up, you got to open up, you got to step up. You got to show up physically, you got to open up emotionally, and you got to step up spiritually. You got to show up. David's running, he's scared, but Jonathan, he showed up. When we stop show when we stop showing up, that's when the drift begins, right? When we stop showing up to stuff like this. Hey, we're all going you and if you get invited to something and you don't go. Now, I'm not saying you got to go to everything, but when you stop saying yes, when you stop showing up, when a friend is going through something tough and you don't show up, you slowly drift apart. I have a, one of my top three friends in life in February called me 
Um, he's a professor at University of Riverside. And um, we've been friends since 1987, so long time. What's that, 30 years, something like that? And he had, uh, said, dude, I, I just got a death wish. I got stage four cancer in my brain. Doctors are saying it's spread everywhere. There's, uh, my whole brain is, it's just, you know, it's saying, man, maybe three months. And that just crushed me. I sobbed like a baby. My wife was like worried about me. She goes, she'd never seen me. I mean, I was uncontrollably like the reality of that just hit me. And uh, his name's Bob. <clears throat> so he lives in Riverside, man. That's like three-hour drive, man. That's, I'm not doing that. That's too long, man. You know, for people you care about, I'm only going to drive a half an hour. What about you? <laughs> what do you do? You get in the car, right? You drive down there. And you hang out. And you be together. And you sit next to him in the hospital bed. And you're there when the doctor comes and gives more bad news. And you hold his hand, and you pray with him, and you stay by his side, showing up. Or do you go, hey, dude, man, I'm bummed. I'll, I'll be praying for you. That's what a lot of us do. I'll be praying for you. No. Get in the car. Cancel your other plans, and you show up. When you do that, you're going to have friends that last a lifetime. You're going to have friends that stick together. When you make sacrifices, when you show up, that's how it works, guys. That's how it works. You got to show up. Secondly, you got to open up emotionally. Isn't it interesting? How did Jonathan know where David was hiding? That whole area is filled with caves. David was hiding in the caves. The it's the place where we hide. It's the place of our secrets. And so the question is, who knows where you're hiding? Who knows where your cave is? Who knows your secrets? I have my best friend in college, and we've stayed in touch. He's, he's, he's still a very, very close friend. He's, I wouldn't say he's like my best friend, but we're still very close. He called me a year ago. Crying. I was like, whoa. I mean, we, you know, we talk, but um, he just said, I need to meet, man. I'm in trouble. And so we met in L.A. At a, in a hotel lobby. I said, I'll, I'll meet you halfway. And I go, what's going on, man? And he said, I'm ashamed to tell you, but I went to a massage parlor. And I think I caught something. And I don't know what to do. I mean, my wife finds out my marriage is toast. It's done. It's over. And I'm broken about it. And I mean, he's crying. And we're, we're together in that. How do you respond to that? Dude, what's wrong with you, man? I thought you were better than that. Is that the, what, what do you do to a guy like that, right? That's vulnerable, that pours his heart out, that lets you into his sin, that lets you into his brokenness. My friend, uh, here's what I told him in that moment. I said, hey, bro, I love you more now than I've ever loved you in your life. Do you understand that? 
Men, do you understand why I would say that? But most of us don't believe that. That's why we don't share. That's why we're not vulnerable. We think we'll be less lovable. We think we're going to get judged, rejected, and so we don't. We hide in our cave. We don't tell people where we're at, and we live in the shadows, and that sin eats at us, and then we act out, and that's what happened to him, and we've talked about, hey, let's, let's not let there be a next time. Let's talk about what are you thinking about doing, not what did you do. Let's talk about, hey, I'm thinking about doing something really stupid right now. Let's bring another brother or two into kind of this wave of our temptation rather than the wake of our destruction. That's a Gary Gadini quote. And that's what he does with his men up in Peninsula Covenant Church. I want to bring you into the the wave of my... I'm embarrassed to tell you this. But you know what? I'd rather be embarrassed and tell you this tonight than tomorrow night tell you I'm going to lose my marriage because I just went to a massage parlor and I think I got a venereal disease. Are you hearing me? This is real tonight, guys. We got to show up. We got to open up. And then we got to step up. Spiritually, we got to step up. Jonathan helped David find strength in God. We don't wink at each other's sin. Ah, cool, man. Let's high five. That's awesome. No, that's not what we're talking about. But you know what? Most of us are beating ourselves up because of our secrets. Aren't we? So I don't need you to beat me up. I need you to lift me up. I need you to believe in me. I need you to tell me that tomorrow's a new day. There's there's mercy that's new every morning. That God hasn't given up on me. And I just love, look at verse, look at these verses. So good. It says, so Saul's son Jonathan went to David. He helped him find strength in God. I don't know. It doesn't tell us how he did that. Did he pray with him? Did he remind him how good God is? Right? That we're prone to wander, but... Hey, you know what? God never gives up on us. What we talked about the first night, God's love that's unfailing and amazing. But he gives him, look at verse, look at the net, verse 17. He says, don't be afraid. These words, it's like Jonathan saying to him, I believe in you, bro. I believe in you. I'm going to be second to you. I'm going to follow you anywhere. You know what that does when you say to another man, I believe in you. You have what it takes. Don't let... This season that you're in become the story of your life. It's a season. Somebody even said that earlier about marriage. It's a season. And don't let it become the story of your life. Let me close with this. How many of you read a book and you read the same page over and over and over? You never never turn the page, though. You go, I'm just going to read page 16 and be stuck there. We don't do that, do we? We shouldn't. You read a book and you go, okay, that was good. I might read it again. That was so good. But what do you do? You turn the page. You turn the page. You turn the page. You turn the page. Some of you men and I need to turn the page. You need to turn the page in your life. Some of you here tonight are going, I haven't had friends. I haven't had meaningful friends since college, since high school, since I was 12. 
Man, turn the page. Turn the page. Turn the page. Turn the page. God's writing a new story in your life. Don't let this season define your whole life story. Okay, maybe you're stuck. Turn the page. The Holy Spirit's in you. You got men that maybe you don't even know of that are gonna, God's going to bring right in front of you this weekend. Maybe when you get home. I don't know. Maybe at work. Turn the page. I gave this talk, not all of it, but some of it, to our guys, about 60, 70 guys about a month ago. I had a guy come up to me, my age, in our church. He just said, tears. That was me. You were talking about me. I had, this is what he said, I don't have one friend in my life. My best friend was in junior high, and then I, I haven't seen him since high school. I don't have one friend. This is a good dude, by the way. He's not like different, like quirky, like, okay, I, I know why he doesn't have friends or something like that. This is a guy, this is a guy you go, he should have friends. So you know what I did? I put together another mentoring group for this guy. And me and a buddy, we're, we, we, we picked four guys. And I, these, the other three said yes, I got to him. Well, I got to talk to my wife, and, and uh, it's once a month dinner, dude. Yeah, I can't do it. Can't do it. Hey, turn the page. You want to have friends? You got to turn the page. You can't keep telling yourself this story. You can't stay on the same page. Year after year after year after year. At, turn the page. Turn the page. Trust Jesus. Let's pray. I'm going to just ask you to put your hand on the shoulder of the guy next to you. If you're sitting on both sides, go ahead, both sides. If you're in, in the middle, both sides. You may not even know the guy, but right now I want you to pray. You might not even know his name, just quietly. I want you just to pray that God would bless the man on your left right now with one awesome, amazing Jonathan in his life. A friend, a real friend, a loyal friend, a vulnerable friend, a safe friend, somebody that, that he can be transparent with, be real with. Would you just pray that in, and over him? Proclaim that. Jesus wants that for you. And now let's do that for the guy on our, our right. Just take a moment and do that for the guy on our right. Lord, hear the cries of our heart as men. We cannot be alone. For long, we need other men in our life. We need each other. And for some of us, it's easier. For some of us, it's hard. But every one of us in this room, I proclaim freedom from isolation. I proclaim freedom from loneliness. I proclaim deep friendship. I proclaim connection. I proclaim Guys taking risks, willing to share their lives, open the kimono, however we want to say it, man, that we would begin a new page, a new story tonight. Lord, we want to turn the page right now in this place. In the name of Jesus, we commit our brothers on either side of us to you. And we're going to give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening.